Hi, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Champions Mind podcast. Today, I've got special guest, Tyler Hamilton, and I'm just going to leave it there. Tyler, thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. Yeah. Hey, it's an honor, Mario. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate so, it. So, Tyler, I'm going to let you take the mic, and I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Oh, man. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, let's see. You know, I live in Missoula, Montana. Montana. I'm uh, 49 years old. I turned 50 in March, which is crazy, right around the corner. Um, yeah, let's see. I uh, grew up on the East Coast, just north of Boston, Marblehead, Massachusetts. Uh, two great parents, an awesome brother and sister. And uh, they taught us just to uh, be, out, be outdoors a lot and, um, and enjoy nature, really. Um, and yeah, I got into my big sport growing up with a, was a downhill ski racing um, and a, a cross training activity we used for uh, ski racing was cycling. So we'd bike in the summertime when, when there wasn't snow on the hills. And um, yeah, fast forward some years, uh, I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder. And uh, my sophomore year, I was there training with the ski team and uh, we were actually dry land training. And I had an accident, broke my back, and kind of that, that took me off skis for that winter. And when I got out of bed, they said I could ride a, a road bike. And yeah, you know, I was in a perfect place to to um, to learn how to be a, a, a road cyclist. You know, Boulder was, Boulder was and is just a huge cycling town, really yeah. an endur endurance junkie town. And, and uh I guess the rest is history, you know, um, I joined the CU, University of Colorado cycling team and then, you know, won the Collegiate National Championship that next year. And I think it was let 1993. Me, yeah, let me, yeah. let me stop. Then it just kind of took off and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good, oh, the I, bad and the ugly, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. But let, let, me, let me stop you there because, so how old were you? I want to I hit on this. How old were you when you broke your back? I think I was uh, 20. Okay, so I mean. Yeah. So man, you're, you're young, right? You're 20, 21 yeah. years old and you break your back. I mean, how, how do you intensive rehabilitation? I'm sure. Right. Like after, you know, they did whatever they had to do to get you back together. I mean, how do you, how do you get through something like that to punch through the other side? I mean, can you recall like those moments, like what, you know, the, the, the thoughts that you had, what was the kind of go-to thing that you would cling on to that would, that would help you make progress and eventually heal? Um, yeah, I mean, because that, that's just such a, that's a heavy thing for somebody at 20 years old to go through, right? Yeah, you know, well, it was pretty heavy, but I, I, I don't even think I realized how heavy it was. And, you know, I was lucky to have not been paralyzed, you know, a couple of weeks later. I think it was somebody on the Detroit Lions who was uh, injured really bad and got paralyzed. And uh, so that's when I really kind of woke up and, and thought to myself, wow, I, I'm really, really fortunate. Um, but, you know, I've, I've always been, you know, I've failed so many times in my life and you always got to pick yourself up and you got to pick yourself up and, you know, just pick yourself up and kind of set new goals, kind of set little new carrots ahead of you. And, uh, you know, for me, at first it was just about getting out of bed. I think I was in bed for like six to eight weeks or something like that. So, you know, just walking to, you know, go to the bathroom or something like that. You know, that was small goals like that. And then, uh, you know, when they said I could ride a road bike, I was like, great. And when I, you know, was up and about, I just said to myself, like, 
yeah, I'm going to go ride and ride a lot and, and maybe uh, get out some of my frustration. I couldn't, you know, ski race that winter. And, um, yeah, and it was just fun to explore the roads outside of Boulder. Just, I mean, incredible riding. And, and then on top of that, there were all these incredible riders I was, you know, bumping into out on the road, you know. Pro men and women, uh, top amateurs. And it was a, it's just a, an incredible place to learn how to be a bike rider. And, yeah, so, uh, so I, you know, I felt lucky to be in Boulder, you know, for that reason. Like, had I been, had I chosen gone, gone to another school, I don't know if I, I, I would have um, really had the opportunity to become a pro bike rider. Would you say that, like, your your experience through that was, like, did you see it as adversity at the time? Or did you just kind of see it, like, as a, because you're 20 years old, you just kind of see it as this, like, eh, this is not really that big a deal. Uh, you know, I've got X amount of time, you know, till I'm better. And then we're just going to get on with it. I try not to let it like, yeah, I, I, it was a way bigger deal than I thought, you know, at the time. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of just rolled with the punches, you know, I was used to being hurt, you know, my whole life. I, I just, you know, I, I, uh, I pushed gravity to the extremes, you know, and had a lot of accidents and a lot of stitches and, you know, many, many trips to the hospital you know, as a kid. So yeah, I was just all a part of it. I was really sad to miss that ski season to, you know, miss a race season. And, you know, back then, it, you know, every year was just so, so important. And, you know, I had lofty goals uh, as, as a ski racer. So that was the first time I kind of like things, I kind of realized, you know, maybe I'm not going to achieve some of my goals in ski racing and, uh, you know, and I kind of learned to kind of be okay with that. And then uh, all of a sudden there was this, a new focus for me and you know I quickly got out on the bike and I, I quick quickly realized that I was pretty good at it and uh and I just didn't really look back yeah I mean I've always I've always been I've always loved sports you know for me the priority was the sports you know soccer growing up or uh skiing you know school kind of always took a little bit of a back seat you know I was, I was always happy to have a B you know I wasn't necessarily an A student I got an A once in a while, but, you know, it was, uh, athletics were my, uh, big focus and, you know, it was at a young age, I was told by a lot of people that I was, you know, a, a good athlete. So you kind of focus on what you're good at, I guess. Yeah. Some of the, some, like, so you mentioned, um, you were used to being hurt. So, I mean, even if we go before this, before this injury, like you mentioned used to being hurt, well, you know, the way that we get injured, if I'm thinking about, you know, you doing skiing or something like that means you're, you're taking risks, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. You're, doing, you're doing some things that, uh, that don't turn out that well. Hence, you know, there's damage to your body, right? Yeah, so yeah. I guess my, my question there with that is, um, you know, kind of processing fear and taking on fear, taking on like uncertainty and maybe doing things that you don't really know how they're going to come about. Like, would you say that was something that was kind of, you were able to handle maybe a little bit better than most people just because of the experiences you had had and, and the fact that you were open to, you're open to these opportunities to do these things and not really know what's what's on the other side of them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was completely fearless as a kid, but I, I mean, I definitely didn't have a, a ton of fear. You know, I grew up with a older sister, older brother, that helped a lot, you know, so I was always uh, hanging out with their friends and getting, you know, in myself in the situations where, you know, I, mean, I was, you know, playing a, hockey, a street hockey game out there with my brother's friends outside and, you know, get 
getting pushed around a little bit, but you know, I was scrappy. I was scrappy and, you know, I always pick myself up and dust myself up and, and uh, yeah, keep, keep fighting, you know? Um, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and then, you know, that continued in cycling and you know, I was super scrappy. Like, I mean, I wasn't the, I don't know, the most gifted of athletes, but I was, uh, I didn't give up very easily. That's for sure. Yeah. You know? the, the, the re yeah, the, yeah. The reason why I'm asking is because you obviously went on to perform at, at the highest level that a cyclist could compete at, you know? And, you know, one of the things that I talk about is that in order for us to do that, we've got to just project an image of ourselves that something that we haven't yet attained, right? We've got to get uncomfortable with kind of looking up the road and saying, this is what I want to do. And I haven't yet done that. And it takes some vulnerability. It takes some yep. risk. It takes a whole lot of fear to put ourselves out there, right? Yep. But if we've already kind of, kind of come up you know, with these experiences, not really necessarily knowing, because as a kid, you don't really know what you're paving the path for, right? Kind of the same thing I would say, you know, when you broke your back, maybe not necessarily realizing that that experience would somehow maybe help you, you know, further down the road and just kind of putting all of these together. And all of a sudden, yeah, I mean, you're not fearless, because I don't think anybody truly is. Right. However, you know, for me, you know, it's, it's not necessarily being fearless, but it's, it's being okay with, well, if this doesn't go the way that I thought it was going to go, then that'll be okay with me as well. Right. Like if yeah, I, yeah. you know, if I'm doing this ski jump and I land it, that would be great. But if I don't, then that's going to be okay too, because I'll, I'll just, I'll figure out why I didn't do it properly and then be able to hopefully adjust and do it right the next time. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I just think that's such an important skill, you know, that we can learn young that we don't even realize we're, we, we don't even realize we're learning that. And it's going to be so important, not just to be a professional athlete, but to do anything in life, just to be able to be vulnerable and take that risk. Yeah. I like it. So it's important to be vulnerable, you know, and, uh, you know, I think you can really grow a lot, a lot faster that way, being, being open to, uh, to really anything really. Um, yeah, I think that's important. So that moment, so you're, you, you know, you're not going to ski anymore. They say, Hey, you can get on a bike. You get on a bike. You say you're rubbing shoulders with all these people down in Boulder. I've been to Boulder. I love Boulder. I was, a, you know, I started out running. So man, uh, yeah, just oh, yeah. a great, Big. great place to be for either mm -hmm. one of those, you know, sports. And, uh, so what was the moment where you're kind of riding and then you're kind of realizing, okay, I know that they're pros or they're amateur, you know, high-level amateurs or whatever, but I'm, I'm sizing up with these guys. I think there might be something here. I mean, when would you say maybe you started kind of having those thoughts and, and maybe kind of formulating some kind of a, of a path maybe for yourself to, to, to get further along into cycling? Yeah, you know, um, let's see. There were some training rides, some hard training rides I remember doing back then and, you know, with some some of those pros like with Davis Finney, Ron Keeple, just uh, Andy Hampston, you know, amazing uh, bike riders and amazing people as well. And really, uh, they really gave me a lot of lessons along the way. But there, you know, there were some training rides that I think I held my own on with some tough climbs. And, you know, some of these riders weren't able to drop me. I think that was kind of eye-opening for me. And uh, then winning the collegiate national championship, that was, uh, you know, for the for University of Colorado, that was pretty awesome. That was back in Boston in '93. Yeah, that started to open my eyes that I had some talent, but I didn't really. I still had no idea where it was going. You know, 
I didn't, I didn't know I was going to become a pro or, you know, the next year I was, I wrote on the U S national team, you know, I had to drop out of school, you know, I was hope I was hoping to kind of do both, but they were like, you know, you're, it, it's going to be too busy of a schedule. So we were really traveling all over the world with the national team, you know, as teammates with like Kevin Livingston, yep. Shane McCray, um, Scott Mercer. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of really talented riders and, yeah, I learned a lot from all those guys. And then and then the next year I was pro, like, you know, super green, super green. Uh, you know, um, it was uh, Eddie Borisavich, who unfortunately just passed away. Uh, he uh, reached out to me and he was starting a new team uh, with Tom Weissel, who's uh, the head of Montgomery Securities. And, you know, what an opportunity, you know, to get paid to ride your bike. And, you know, I was... Uh, when it called me to offer me a contract, I was painting the neighbor's house because I was, you know, just trying to make some extra money along the way. It's hard to be a bike racer, as you know, you know, and like just I was um, I had to really scrap for a while there when I was in Boulder trying to, you know, before I went pro, just trying to make ends meet, you know, did a lot of odd jobs. And, um, you know, back way back then when you went to college they handed out credit cards back then so i remember i had like three different credit cards you know <laughs> had to max had to max all those out to you know to get to the race the important races to to get noticed so you know i got noticed luckily and then you know had to pay back my credit card bills and that first that first year as a pro yeah yeah they yeah. give you they always give you like the introductory gift like i remember they had like oh um, yeah call them, we would call them folkleys you know they were like fake oakleys if you sign up for the oh yeah card, and then you sign up for oh, the yeah. card and it's like 17 percent interest but you have no idea oh what yeah in college just grab a credit card no big yeah, deal. It's yeah it's free money it looked like you know so uh but <laughs> oh, yeah you know but good good learning lessons you know and you know you know having to pay back some debt and you know was it a worth the risk yeah it was worth the risk you know so i yeah. mean i believed in my talent and i just knew i had to get to the right races to get noticed yeah tyler you know like yeah. i think like you know the reason why i asked that question is because you know i feel like there's a there's a moment for a lot of you guys that go on to do this at a higher level there's a moment where you kind of begin to line up the dots and you kind of begin to say wait a minute like this individual over here is, is doing this at this level. And I seem to, I seem to be able to, you know, keep up, not get dropped on a climb, you know, maybe one day I'm, I'm, I'm actually the hammer and not the nail, you know, and, and those yeah. kind of begin to pile up and then you, you begin to shift and you begin to say, wow, I, I think this is a possibility for me. I think this is possible. Right. Um, but I guess at, at some point, you know, it seems like there's a, there's a shift also in how you view the, uh, the, the, the journey, right? So at yeah. first you're, you're painting houses, you've got the maxed out credit cards, you're going to school, like, oh, look, I landed on a pro team. Wow. That's, that's nice. That's fun. I get, you know, I get paid to ride my bike and then kind of, if we're not careful, it starts to take on this uh, this kind of heavier kind of a kind of a a feeling where now now it's a, now it's a job, right? And like now there's expectations piled on that with sponsors and results and kind of yeah. all those things that I need to do, and it kind of goes from this like innocent, you know, sometimes people don't even have a coach; they're just riding around, just kind of whatever they're doing. They're doing all kinds of things wrong, but they're still fast as all get out. And then it kind of transitions to this other kind of a, 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 a of a of a mind space where it, it's maybe not as healthy. I mean, did you did you kind of 
experience that? Did you kind of feel that come about? Maybe you didn't. I mean, hopefully, you know, the folks that, that don't are the folks that, in my opinion, are the ones that are the most successful because it it started off as play and, and it ends at play. You know, it's kind of a this this kind of yeah, attitude, yeah. you know, type of thing. But for most of you guys, unfortunately, it's kind of not that way, right? Right. Yeah, it wasn't that way for me. Um, I would say what it started to feel like a job probably in like 1999. You know, it was still a lot of fun. It was still uh, really exciting. But yeah, I mean, it started to feel more like a job and, you know, I had a responsibility to, you know, be at my best. You know, that was the first year Lance won the tour and, you know, I had to be at my best for the tour. And I was like, you know, there was a lot riding on that, on that race, you know. So um, that's when things start, started to get a little bit more serious. You know, I wasn't just at the tour to like, you know, in 97, I was there just as a, honestly, like a spectator, really. I mean, I was on the start line, but I was, you know, looking around and taking it all in. I saved every little thing I had. How was, how was know, that? Was, and, and how, how uh, was yeah. it? I mean, if you were, I, I mean, did you, like, in, in terms of uh, satisfaction, I guess, or enjoyment of that experience, I mean, would you say that that was one of your, 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 your fonder experiences at, at being at the tour in 97 when it was just, oh, well, yeah. Like Disney World. I mean, I don't know. Is that? Yeah, it was, it was exciting. I mean, I was just, I couldn't believe that I was there, really. And I was psyched that I had a number, you know. And I didn't know, I mean, I, I knew that probably there's a good chance I won't finish, you know. So I told my parents, if you're going to come watch, like, come early, come early, you know. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I never gave up and I, I, I scrapped my way through. And, you know, I was pretty, a pretty, still a pretty green rider at that time. So um, I was just like to, psyched to be there, psyched to get that experience. And, but yeah, I mean, I suffered a lot for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But it was fun. But but you know, to go back, Mario, uh, that I you asked me about the result or a time when I thought when I thought I could make it. I think it was in ninety when you were speaking earlier. I, I remember this uh, result, but it was uh, it was the Tour de Pont, which is kind of like it was like a tour of California, but on the East Coast, a ten day stage race. And uh, when I was on the U.S. national team in ninety four you know, we were able to ride the Tour de Pont, this big pro race, you know, so all these big pro, pro teams from Europe coming over, you know, Lance and the Motorola team were there, and in um, the, the prologue was in Wilmington, Delaware, and I, like, out of the blue, got, like, fifth or sixth. Hmm. I think I beat Lance. I think I was maybe one spot behind Greg Lamont, you know, so um, that was the moment where I was like, wow, you know, I can, I, you know, I can compete with this, these guys. Maybe it was only a three-mile prologue, but, you know, um, you know, the rest of the race, I was kind of put to my place, I guess, you know, back to, back to the rest of the peloton. But I had a, you know, a talent to, to time trial and to, you know, really, uh, you know, push myself inside out a little bit. And uh, yeah. I think that that's where I really realized maybe I, I could be a pro someday. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so talk to me, talk to me a little bit more about that because I, I always find it interesting that there's like this, um, it, it starts off with kind of this outlier kind of a performance sometimes, you know, yeah. where, man, I just kind of struck gold. I just, I, I, I won the lottery. I got third in this prologue. Okay. And then you said, you know, and then I returned back to, all right, now I'm back to Tyler, like real Tyler. Yeah. That was, yeah. I don't know what that was, but you know, um, and so, you know, why, why do you, like, I know this was a really long time ago, but, like, 
why do you think you were able to, to have a ride like that? Obviously that ride showed the potential that you ended up fulfilling, right? Yeah, yeah. But at the time it was like, a, this is left field right now. You know, whoa, who is this guy, right? Yeah, I was totally out of the blue. I think, uh, honestly, I think my ski racing helped a lot. Staying focused, it was a really technical, technical course there in Wilmington and uh, we climbed up a, this really steep cobblestone climb and then had to come back down in a different way. It's technical. And I remember riding the course many, many times like you do in uh, ski racing, you would view the course ahead of your run, you know, and study it. And I, I was, I, I studied the course. Um, mm -hmm. I knew I, I took a few risks, you know, and um, yeah, it was, it was piss and rain. So, you know, and I just went for it. I, I, I wasn't scared, of, you know, I was potentially going to crash, you know, but I, you know, I did and I kept it upright and, you know, that probably, it probably helped me that it was raining. So, you know, I, uh, I just went flat out and, and, and didn't, didn't think twice about, you know, hitting it if I did hit the deck. Yeah. 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 I yeah. mean, there's, you know, oftentimes you hear about, you know, a, a performance that somebody has that, uh, is one that they can remember where they performed at a really high level. And oftentimes you'll ask somebody to recount it and they kind of can't, right? It's just this unconscious, yeah. unconscious. I wasn't really thinking, like you said, I had studied the course. So chances are you're probably out there subconsciously just turning the bike, letting it do what it needs to do, not really thinking about it. Oh, yeah. it's raining, but I'm not thinking about really that it's raining. It, it, it is yeah. what it is. That means the pavement's wet. Um, you know, and, and just kind of, you know, allowing a little bit of that freedom to kind of flow through you to be able to perform nice and loose and relaxed. That's part of the reason yeah. why I asked the previous question about going from this place where it's, it's just free. You're in college. You're, you're just working a side job. There's no real pressure. I'm not really thinking about it. Can I go pro? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. And then all of a sudden, like you said, you know, 97, you go to the tour Hey, I don't know that I'm going to finish mom, dad, if y'all are going to come, come early. Cause who knows what's going to happen. You've got freedom yeah. to, to make it. You've got freedom to not make it. And then you talk about getting to 99 and 99. It's like, no, 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 no. We're not. You tell mom and dad, they can, they can go to Paris because you're going to be there because we need you to finish. And we've got a high expectation. And all of a sudden it's like, we begin to think and the level at which we are expected to perform begins to go up. Right. And the interesting thing about that is, is that that's okay because it should be it should be expected, right? I mean, obviously, you had the physiological parameters to be able to finish a tour, to be able to ride for a, a guy that was going to be one of the contenders. You were capable of that kind of a performance. But what's interesting is, is that instead of just saying, I've done the work, I'm ready to rock and roll, I get what you guys need from me, I can do it, our mind adds this extra little layer right on there that we put on our, like we're our own worst enemy. Like we put that extra little bit of pressure on there. Like, okay, like they said this, but okay. But then there's this and, and that's what begins to really mess with us. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's the, it's the, you don't need to do anything special because you're already performing consistently at this level. That's all we need from you. Is just a consistent yeah. performance right here. You know, we don't need, you know, anything, anything bigger than that. And that's what, uh, you know, that's what gets interesting once we start to, to, to perform at a higher level. Um, so, but, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I may be, I may be jumping out of place here, but like, so wow. let's talk about like doing something as, as grandiose as the tour 21 days, just a super long event. 
I mean, man, can you take me through, can you take us through like, what, what happens mentally in 21 days? Like, how does, how does that go? Right. Um, it, it, it just seems to me to be such a, that's a, that's like a world war, man. That's like such a long period of time to just mentally be good. And in my, it seems to me to be something that's probably not possible to do. I mean, how do you, how do you manage a tour? How do you manage? Yeah, something? I mean, it's incredibly hard, you know, but you can't, you just take it one day at a time. That's the only way to do it. That's or that's what I did, you know, really one kilometer at a time. I mean, I, Every tour, whether I was going really good or not going so well, like every tour I'd die a thousand deaths. Like you just, I mean, I mean, do you have 200 of the best bike riders in the world, you know, and every, you know, and it's the Tour de France. So everybody's at their best, trying their best, you know, nobody's training through the Tour de France. So it's, um, yeah, incredibly hard. And yeah, you keep thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm not going to be able to make it or but you don't give up and next thing you know you, you've made it you know and um, and that's day by day and then that goes for the whole race really it's um but yeah just not really looking at the finish line but just kind of staying in that moment and uh and, and just you know one step at a time kind of focus yeah I mean, that's that's what i did yeah but yeah i mean so many times i was just like i can't keep this pace like i'm gonna have to give up and but no one else around you is giving up so like you can't give up right and you just push yourself a little you go a little bit deeper a little bit deeper and like and um yeah and when you don't give up you know good things happen yeah you know? that's right so would you right. would you say that you would try to within each particular stage like you would try to give yourself kind of like mini goals mini mini objectives mini targets uh many things like hey i can if I can do this right here, okay, great. And then I've got this coming up and then I've got this coming up. Um, yeah. Kinda, yeah. Just kind of try to check those off as you go. And then and yeah. then you're done with that stage. And then you haven't even maybe looked at the road book to go, hey, you know, I'm on stage three. I'm not, I can't look at seven yet. I mean, I'm at no. three. I mean, if I don't finish totally. three, four, five, and six, there won't be a seven. So it doesn't matter, exactly. right? It does, exactly. Exactly. Yep, yep. Yeah, just one step at a time. One, you know, like just get over this climb. Then we have the descent. Then we have the feed zone. You know, you're always happy to make make it to the feed zone, right? And um, you know, get some good snacks, and uh, you know, and that and that's basically the feed zone is usually the halfway point. So if you make can make it to the feed zone, you can make it to the finish. You know. Yeah. And uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it wasn't all easy. I mean, I spent time, you know, dropped off the back by myself with a bad stomach and you know, team directors and doctors telling me to quit because, you know, I was, I was sick, but no way, Jose, yeah, I wasn't going to give up, you know, unless, unless they pulled me off my bike, I wasn't, I wasn't going to quit. That was, that happened in like the 98 tour, just off the back, solo off the back, you know, where the, where it was like a sprint finish, like normally, you know, where everybody finishes together, I was just uh, in pieces, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it teaches you a lot about yourself and, uh, and then that doesn't make it easy to give up the next time. You, you know, if you give up this time, like, are you going to give up next time? You know, so just, I, I tried not to put that in my vocabulary. Right. I mean, if I, okay, if I was really injured and I, I couldn't continue, so be it, but I, I made it pretty difficult on myself to, to, to give up. So, yeah. you know, I kind of had worked my whole life to get there as, you know, being an athlete, 
pretty much my whole life. And so I felt like a lot of, you know, my, my, for my, do it, doing it for my family, for my, um, my, for my friends, everyone who would support me over those years, like I was doing it for them. And so no way was I going to give up. Yeah, yeah. man. I, I, I didn't, I didn't tell you to do it. Uh, we didn't talk before this podcast, promise y'all, but you said something there that is, I, I want to make sure that folks catch because when, when, when we talk to, um, like you're reminding me of, um, if you've ever heard of Des Linden, uh, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day when she did the, uh, it was the Boston that she won, I believe, right? And that, uh, yeah, yeah. The weather, the weather was, un the weather was terrible. And, yeah. um, I, and, and in that story, she talks about the fact that they came to a, a feed zone, you know, an aid station in the marathon. And, um, you know, she, she didn't grab a bottle and Shalane Flanagan, who was the other American that was a favorite, like, she, oh yeah. Yeah. She grabbed, she grabbed the bottle, but then she went back to Des and she gave it to her and said, Hey, I, how you feeling Des? And Des said, I'm feeling bad. And Shalane said, I'm probably feeling worse than you. I'm about to drop out or something like that. And oh, yeah. so she gave Des Linden the bottle and Des was like, she gave me the bottle, dropped out. She gave me the bottle. That, that means a lot to me. Okay. I got to keep going for Shalane. Not, not, not for yeah. me. For Shalane, and you just mentioned, yeah. I kept going for my family. I kept going for my friends. I kept going for all the people that supported me and gave me good advice and stuff like that. And, you know, it's interesting. That's what they tell you to do when you get into these intense moments of suffering. Hey, don't think about yourself. Because if you think about yourself, you're probably going to find yourself in trouble because you're in a lot of pain. You're experiencing doubt right now. You've got fear going, whatever it is you've got going, right? And if you just go in introvert, then your ego is going to start doing all kinds of bad things to you. But if you can go out and you can just keep turning the pedals or, or running in that case for, for somebody else, for something bigger than yourself and connect to that bigger thing, then it's amazing what you're able to do. Right. And so, man, I'm just, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that's such a, that's such a big thing. We get this kind of tractor beam focus. Like you even mentioned, I'm going up this climb and I'm looking around. They're not, they're not slowing down. They're not stopping. Well, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I guess I got to keep going. I mean, that's also kind of plugging into in a competitive arena. That's plugging into my competitors and helping them to yeah. help make me better. You know, but all of that stuff, you know, it all it all uh, it all helps, right? It all gets us uh, it all gets us to keep moving in the right direction, which is towards the finish line. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, my I thought I lost you for a minute. No, you're you're okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, sorry about that. I got distracted. Uh, somebody was just trying to call me in there. Oh uh, no, it's it's all good. No worries. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's uh, yeah, mind over matter, mind over matter, and um, you. I mean, I always surprise myself. Like you know, I'm never going to be able to finish this tour. I'm done. You know, I'm just dying out here. Like I'm, I, I, you know, I can't hang. And you know, you just. Uh, by, by not giving up, by, you know, by continuing on, it gives you another opportunity to, you know, to improve yourself. And, and let me, yeah. And let me ask you this, I, you know, they're going too fast. I'm done. I'm not going to finish this tour. Was that exclusive? Cause, cause you did, you did have, you have had some grand tours in the past, you know, Vueltas, Giros and the tour where you've been, you've been up there and you've been in the running and you've been yeah. very close to the pointy end. Would you say that those thoughts of, I don't think I'm going to be able to finish. I don't think I can keep going. Would you say that they were exclusive of your results and where you were in the race? Wait, so what do you mean? 
So what I mean is, let's say you're sitting fourth on GC. Yeah. Do you not have those moments anymore? Do they go away where you're just kind of going and you're like, I can do this. This is good. I, I'm not putting any kind of difficulty. I can keep going. I'm not doubting myself versus maybe you're uh, you're in 75th or, or something like that, right? And it's like, I'm so far back here. This doubt and, and this ability to not want to keep going or whatever is higher, right? Would you say yeah, that? Yeah. Would you say yeah, that? Yeah, I'd say you have less. When you're in the front, I'd say less doubt, less doubt when you're... Uh... When less people are really making your legs hurt, let's let's put it that way. If uh, I guess when you're at the pointy end, you're um, I guess you know you know you're conscious that you're at the pointy end of the peloton. You know you know the form's good, so like uh, you know quit quitting's certainly not an option for sure. But I think it's important to be able to go through those moments and like suffer through those moments. You know when you are having bad races to. Uh, you know, just keep fighting, keep fighting, keep fighting. A lot of riders have, have won races when they, when they weren't the strongest rider in the race, not even close, but by the fact of just not giving up, you know, and, um, you know, strange things happen when you, uh, when you really, when you stay in the fight. You know? Yeah. 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 The, the reason why I ask that is because I think that uh, I feel like one of the misconceptions that people have is that it doesn't happen at the front, right? That if I'm a if I'm a mid-pack performer or if I'm somebody that frequently finds himself off the back, that that somehow it's harder for me than it is for that person near the front. But really, we find ourselves around peers of of equal ability. And so therefore we're we're all pushing ourselves to pretty much our maximum capacity, regardless of what place we're in, because we find ourselves in that company, you know? And sure. I, I've read over and over again about how hard it is in the group pedal. And people are like, but they're in the group pedal and they're just going easy. And they're just, but they're not, right? They're racing all out while you guys are in a group of seven up the, you know, 10 minutes up the mountain, um, you know, slugging each other up there and punching each other in the face. And so there's all these individual battles going on, you know, and that's kind of one of the things that, you know, I try to press upon the folks that, that listen to anything that I put out is like, the elite performers, you know, the, the higher end folks don't have it easier. Right. Right. Um, yeah. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't train harder to be able to race easier. Right. You, you train harder to be able to race harder. I mean, that's the, that's the goal. I mean, it's, yeah. And it's always hard, right. It's always hard. Even when you're, even when you're, you're the strongest one in the race. It's still so, so hard. Right. Yeah. I mean, to, to win, you gotta, you know, turn yourself inside out and, you know, go into that pain cave and get comfortable really. Yeah. So, well, Tyler, yeah. I want to, I want to touch upon something, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of research that's been going around now talking about uh, the kind of this new idea, this new concept, this new model that has come out uh, called the psychobiological model of human performance. And basically what it says is, and they've done a ton of studies to kind of look at this. And what they've said is, you know, when folks quit or when folks kind of tap out, that's a maximum effort. I can no longer go anymore. You know, you start soft pedaling for, for, for our sake, right? You just start soft pedaling. You, you back off because there's no way I can keep going. Um, you know, why is it that that happens, right? And a lot of the uh, traditional research says, well, uh, you got hunger knock, you're, you're dehydrated. 
um, you know, you're, you're out of energy. You've, you've bonked your muscles. Uh, you know, the training that you did up to that point did not allow you to push beyond that particular point. And, yeah. you know, a lot of these physiological type markers, right? One of the interesting things that they're finding though, is that when they do, they've done studies in a lab and then they'll take muscle biopsies and they'll say, wait a minute, there's, there's still some good, good stuff in those muscles, uh, actually, technically, <laughs> you had kind of what it took to, to continue to push yourself. Uh, but for some reason, you know, you, you decided that, that, it, that enough was enough, right? And what they're finding is this, this thing called, the, you know, the perception of the effort. You know, basically, once we perceive that we are just going at an 11 out of 10, you know, we, we say to ourselves, we've got to back off. And so therefore we send the signal from the mind to the muscles, to the body to say, we need to chill out. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, over and over and over, I've heard you say that you felt like you were going to, you felt like you couldn't, you felt like you needed to stop. You felt like you needed to slow down, but you just kept going. Um, what, what would you do in those moments to, maybe lower this, this perception of the effort or maybe get comfortable with the particular sensations you were feeling? I mean, what was it that you felt like would allow you to continue to keep going that allowed you to be successful? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, number one, I'd say just I, I, having hope, having hope that like it's going to get better, right? Like having hope that, you know, after you crest this climb, you know, you're going to, on the descent, you're going to get some water and some, eat some food and you're going to feel better maybe on the next climb or having hope that like this pain's not, well, you know, it's the pain's not going to last forever, right? Just having hope that it's, you know, it's going to be short-lived and it's going to, you know, you're going to be feeling better in a few minutes. Um, but also like just being comfortable with pain, you know, it's mm. just pain, mm. you know, um, yeah, just get, you know, kind of nuzzle on in next to it, right? And get comfortable with it. And, um, you know, number one, it's important to train, you know, train, you know, train in harsh conditions, train, you know, get uncomfortable when you're training. That means, you know, riding really intensely, you know, riding in bad weather, whatever it is, like, uh, get okay with, get okay with pain, right? And, um, if you can kind of accept it rather than resist it, I think it makes it a lot easier. You know, it's kind of hard to put into words, but you know, my, I know, I know. my first uh, event that I was good at in cycling was the time trial. Cause you know, I didn't know how to handle my bike. Go to point A to point B by yourself as fast as you can go. You know, but I don't know. You just get into that, like into that hurt locker. It's, it stinks. It's not much fun to be there, but just get, but you know, you're riding fast. You know, right. You're riding like to the best of your abilities if you're hurting that bad and then just keep going with it. Right. And, um, and then, and then usually, usually when you dig deep like that, you're going to be pretty proud of, of the result. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like what, what I've, what I've seen in folks that are able to perform at a high level is, you're able to tolerate it. You're yeah, able to, like you said, like, and, and I'm right there with you, man. It's hard to put into words, right? Like I'm like, asking yeah. 
explain something that you're just kind of like, you're probably taking yourself back to a, a race or you're taking yourself back to a workout and you're like, Mario, I, I really, but that's part of the problem with feelings, right? Kind of getting into, you know, what I do for a living with mindset coaching. Like that's part of the problem is when you ask somebody to explain what is love, it, it's really hard, right? So it's like, man, yeah, how, do you, right. you, how do you deal with pain, right? Because pain is a, it's a physical sensation. I can point to my legs and say right there, it's right there. But yeah. once that sensation travels up to my mind and, and, and then it, and then it makes its way to my heart, right? It's like it, it morphs into a, an emotion. And now, man, yeah, I don't know how to explain, I don't know how to explain it to you, man. I know it's in my quads, yeah. but like, it's up here too. It's living in two places at one time. And so I think you're right that like, you know, elite performers just have a way of kind of separating those two, right? Like it's a physical sensation that I'm, that I'm feeling down here in my legs or you know in my back or whatever but i'm just I, I, when it when it gets up here what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna i'm gonna look at it for what it is and say hey it's not gonna kill me and it's not gonna last yeah. right i mean those are two critical things right like at some point it's gonna end and it's actually not as intense i probably turned the volume up on it myself artificially right over what it really is um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I think that that's a, that's a great point that you make, you know, when dealing with that and gosh, we know what the name of the game is an endurance sport. Keep going. I, yeah. I mean, right. Right. Going. And, and in a way, uh, in a, in a sadistic kind of a way, we begin to kind of look around and say, you're going to keep going. I, I'm going to keep going. What about you? Yeah. Oh, okay. You want to, you want to see, all right, you want to go, let's see how this ends up, you know, and, and you just kind of get into these you know, you get into these little tussles with people or you get out there and you go, yeah, the weather's really bad outside. Okay. All right. Mother nature. Is that what you're bringing? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to finish this ride. I'm going to go, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get this ride in. And I'm going to show you that like, I'm not going to, you know, revert to my garage where it's nice and warm. I'm going to go do this, you know, in some adverse conditions. And just like you said, it's just getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. There you go. Um, and, and just training that up. But man, um, I got to ask you about this. This is like, and I've told you this before, like one of the, when, when your name comes up, I, I think of that one thing, man. I just think of that image arm. I don't know. I can't remember which one it was, but the arms up here, it's bandaged up, dude. Your, oh, your, collarbone. your yeah. jersey zipped down. It's the tour. You did the collarbone. When did you, what stage did you break it in? Stage one at the finish. Gosh. Yeah. Oh. yeah bummer. <clears throat> bummer. <laughs> I didn't no, think it a, yeah, it was a bad crash. It, it was like, a, you know, when one guy goes down in a sprint finish, you know, it's like you're packed in there like sardines. So it's like dominoes, you know. Man. I think Lance, Lance went down, Levi Leipheimer, I think he broke his hip. So it's like, you know, there are plenty of guys who get really injured. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. What, like, like they, they say that those first couple of stages in the tour, they say that they are the most cha chaotic, just, insane stages like like of any race throughout the entire year i mean what's going on in there man i mean are there are there just a bunch of people that are just kind of for lack of a better term i'm not bagging on any of them but they're just kind of happy to be there and it's a it's a clean slate this is stage one so let me see if i can do something or what what would you say is kind of contributes to because you know by five six seven you guys are settled in there's a pecking order it's kind of a little bit more just kind of Everybody gives each other a little bit of space. There's not as many risks taken, maybe, you know, and something like that. I mean, what would you say is happening in, in those early stages that makes it just so nuts? 
Yeah, well, I mean, you have like 200 or maybe 180 of the you know best cyclists in the world. Everybody's gearing up for that race. Everybody's fresh and ready to go. So, and uh, typically the first the first week of the tour is probably the flattest you know flattest part of the tour, and uh, so you don't have the differences there in the mountains. So everybody and everybody's trying to get to the front. This is their chance to get a result for themselves or a result for their team. Um, they know that once they hit the mountains, you know, they might, they might not be in contention anymore. So this is everyone's chance in the first week. And uh, yeah, no one, and no one's backing down. Everyone's, you know, sharpening their elbows and uh, kind of ready for the fight. You know, by the, by week two, by week three, a lot of people are already fully just tapped out, pretty gassed and just, they're looking to get there to Paris. And, um, but the first week, everybody's got a lot of fight in them and nobody's backing down and, Every director is yelling in your ear to get to the front, you know, and stay in the front. And so, uh, yeah. So, yeah, accidents happen. And uh, it's kind of part of the game. I mean, the first week of the tours, typically when the most crashes happen, I would say, you know, just uh, not, you know, a lot of riders, everyone's trying to get to the front and a lot of narrow roads and what do they call it? You know, road furniture, you know, yeah. whoop-de-doos and those uh, little bubble things they put yeah, in the, the road the roundabouts and all that all that yeah jazz, right? it's chaos and then you have fans that don't some fans don't know how to watch a bike race and they're standing out in the road thinking that it's kind of like watching a marathon or something i mean i i can't tell you how many fans i've barely you know missed crashing into you know yeah so many times so many times yeah but um you know that's a part of the tour it's chaotic the first week is chaotic big time like in terms of in terms of me, in terms of the mental energy that it takes to get through that first tour, I mean, would you say that in order to be a contender, like in order to be somebody that's going to be up there in in the third week, I mean, would you say that there kind of has to be this balance of like I obviously need to pay attention, obviously need to stay out of harm's way, obviously getting closer to the end of the stage, I need to make sure I'm in good position where bad things don't happen towards the back and all that, but yeah. at the same time. When I get out of the first week, I still need to have I, I still need to have some mental energy to be able to throw it at the mountains that are coming up, at some decisive time trials and all those kinds of things. I mean, would you say that that's definitely kind of a thing that maybe threw some some folks out of contention for some of these things is like that first week, you've kind of got to keep a cool head about all of this stuff going on around you to be able to be good, you know, in that last week when when, you know, when it's going to matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it certainly uh, is a big advantage to kind of stay cool in the pocket. You know, it's a it's a chaotic first week, and a lot of riders spend way too much energy, men mental and physical en energy. And you see some uh, riders, some like really good climbers, that just they um, you know they're a fish out of water in that first week, and then by the time they get to the mountains, they're they're toast. They're done. They burn too many matches in that first week, whether just not riding smart, maybe stressing out too much. But um, but yeah, it seems like every year you you lose a couple real top climbers in the first week just um, for various reasons. But yeah, a lot, you know, it takes a lot of skill to uh, stay at the front in the Tour de France in, in week number one of the Tour, for sure, for sure. I, I mean, I, I mean, I, 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 was, I was constantly working on it, you know, I, you know, Anybody, I don't, I don't think there was anybody like a total master of staying at the front, you know, it's, um, 
yeah, it's difficult for every, everybody and every team wants to be up there protecting their team leaders. So, but yeah, there's only so much road, you know, you don't have a, yeah, a half mile wide road. That's for sure. You know, they're yeah. pretty narrow. They're pretty yeah. narrow. <laughs> um, so when, when you, when you broke the, the collarbone in stage one, uh, you know, like what, I mean, how did you, geez, how'd you, how'd you finish? I mean, how'd you finish, man? How, how'd you get, how'd you get through that? I mean, you know, the reason yeah. why I'm, th I'm thinking about this from a perspective of it's obviously going to hurt here, a tremendous amount of pain here, but you've yeah. also got pain, you know, from the cycling part. It's not like you're sitting on the couch and just feeling a collarbone. It's, it's, it's like, you've got this going on down here. So would you, would you have to pay attention to both? Like what would, yeah, I'm just, I'm curious to hear, you know, what your thoughts were like on, on a, on a given stage to be able to, to be able to get through these stages, let alone you obviously protected your position during these stages as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was really fortunate because the next uh, few days weren't that hard and uh, early breakaways would go up the road and, they kind of let the breakaways stay out there all day and then slowly reel them in. So in the Peloton, it was pretty, I'd say that it was pretty consistent, the speed and we had good weather. And so I was able to, and, and luckily my team director, Bjorn Reese, put kind of put like three or four guys with me. I just sat at the back. I sat at the back and just tr get, just tried to get through it. And luckily, you know, if there was crosswind, I would have been in big trouble big trouble or, or if it was raining probably big trouble um so i was fortunate there you know and the collarbones wasn't completely like displaced like that it was together it was like a v fracture so you know if i went down again it was gonna be ugly but it was you know worth the risk it was worth the risk i thought you know i arrived at you know the probably the best shape of my life and i was like you know they're gonna have to pull me off my bike to get me to quit so but i just like i said was saying before i just took it one day at a time you know on stage two, I just really took a, a, you know, five kilometers at a time. And, you know, they brought my bag to the feed zone because they thought I was going to pull out there, you know, drop out of the race. But I just kept going. And, you know, good, I, like I was saying before, good things happen when you keep going, right? Just keep, you know, maybe maybe I was going to lose a lot of time in the first week. But maybe, you know, by come the third week, I'd, I'd gain my energy back. And maybe I'd have a chance to win a stage or something. But. You know, I had worked so hard to get to that moment. Like I was like, you know, if the doctor says I can maybe continue, like I'll do it, you know, I'll do it. So, yeah. you know, the French, the French doctor that took the x-ray was like, oh, if it's, if he can handle pain, maybe it's possible. So when I heard that, I was like, I'm going to try. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, it, I mean, you've said it repeatedly, you know, on here and it bears mentioning, like you've talked about the present moment so often and it, it's so important right like the present yeah. moment is the only it's the only moment where number one all possibilities exist yeah because they do and number two it's the only moment we have control over i mean you can't you can't be anywhere better than than the present moment when both of those things are valid statements if you jump to the past yeah those aren't true neither one of them and if you jump to the future neither one of those are true either you know um and so you know it, it's it's interesting in with that particular injury that that occurred um 
you you really had to just narrow it down and, and really not get ahead of yourself because well the bags at the feed zone i mean yeah let let let's i don't know let's get to the feed zone and then we'll just kind of figure it out and okay we we passed the feed zone nope all right doing okay so then you just kind of stay present you just keep moving and you just keep moving yeah. and you just keep moving i mean bad things happen when we when we go to the past and bad things happen when we when we go to the future, uh, you know, within, within a performance, right? Uh, yeah, sometimes great. it's okay to visit those afterwards to see what we could have done better and how we can improve and, and, and kind of where we're going. But, you know, within a, within a 21 day race, no, we're, we're not, we're not trying to jump ahead to anything, you know? Um, so yeah, but, uh, let, let's, let's jump ahead now. Let's talk about, so you're, you're living in, Montana so you you kind of pack up the the cycling career and you and you call it a day um and uh so what are you up to now oh uh, yeah I mean, well yeah I moved up here to Missoula what like eight or nine years ago it's just it was a great decision for me you know uh it was nice to kind of uh I was living in Boulder and it was kind of nice to kind of step away from that that whole life and you know I was I I was writing a, in the middle of writing a controversial book at the time. And I was like, I think I need some kind of space away from this. And uh, yeah, Montana has been great. It's been great. I get back to um, Colorado, like every month I work for a money manager in Denver called the Blacksmith group. Um, so I get down there to the office for like typically a work week once a month. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll stay in Boulder. So it's been, uh, it's been a, kind of a great balance for me. But yeah, I live here in Missoula, Montana. My uh, I live with my girlfriend and her two kids. Yeah, and it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, they're six and eight years old, and it's uh, kids. I think make you a really real, a better person for sure. You know, um, it's really neat to see kind of life through their eyes, and um, yeah, it's it's been fun to be like a part time parent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you talk you talk about bigger picture. You're, oh, you're yeah. part of, you're part of a bigger picture, man. It is, oh, uh, yeah. once, you oh, got, yeah. once you got little ones, it's, it's no longer, yeah. it's no longer yeah. about you, man. Yeah. And then I have a great golden retriever named Sailor. She's a, about a year and a half old and, um, yeah, I love dogs. So yeah, getting out, um, you know, I don't bike like I used to, I bike, I'm kind of a, um, like a social cyclist now, you know, I, I ride maybe once or twice a week, you know, when the weather is good. And, um, but yeah, get out, do some running, uh, do a bunch of yoga, let's see, paddle boarding. We have a bunch of rivers here in Western Montana. So I like to paddle board on those during the summertime. Yeah. I don't know. Mo Western Montana. Well, Montana is a beautiful state and there's a lot to explore. So I love, you know, like my parents said as a kid, just, you know, get out in nature, you know, getting out in nature makes me happy. You know, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do this afternoon. You know. Awesome, man. That's, yeah. that's, right. that's awesome. So would you say that kind of once you exited cycling, kind of the, oh, yeah. the, you know, the way, the way that it, the way that it came about and all of that, um, would you say that it's been a journey to kind of return to kind of, all right, everything happened that happened. You wrote the book, uh, you know, I'm sure that you were on yeah. Lot of TV shows and did a lot of interviews and had to to do court hearings and all that kind of stuff and so you're oh, yeah. you kind of got this but you know you say you're coming into Boulder now you know once a, you know one week a month 
And yeah. like you're, you're like, yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. It's a nice balance between going back to Montana, going home and then coming into Boulder. Um, I mean, would you say that that was part of like a, like a, that was kind of a, a thing, right? It was kind of a challenge for you to maybe kind of to get to a place where that was okay. Right. And not, yeah, yeah, yeah. not causing that, that, uh, uh, remorse, regret kind of, kind of yeah. feelings in you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I mean, time heals, you know, talking about it openly heals. Like it's, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's been a, a wild ride for sure. And, um, I've learned so much during this crazy ride for sure. Um, but I feel really lucky, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of forgiveness, you know, and that's uh, pretty special. You know, um, I, I thought it was like 10 years too late to, you know, tell the truth really, you know, and, um, yeah, that really opened my eyes a lot. Um, really makes me appreciate my, just my friends and your, my family, all the people that were there for me, you know, there was some debt, super difficult times. And, um, but that, but I feel really lucky to have gotten through it. You know, some riders didn't make it through, you know? Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it was, it was tough on me. It was a tough on a lot of my old teammates and, and competitors and, um, uh, yeah, you know, cycling was, uh, it was a, you know, there was one point in time, it was a, it was a dirty sport. And, uh, you know, I arrived in the 90s and it was, you know, doping was rampant. In 97, when I arrived over in Europe, it was rampant. It was just, uh, you know, it was a, a sad truth. And how it got that way, I don't know, you know. People point the fingers every which way, but, you know, I think it was just the, as a whole, it, it kind of grew to grew to this, you know, into a bad place and i think in the you know in the sport and the sport suffered you know part partly to to what you know what i did and the choices i made so i always thought to myself like there's way too many people that know that that are involved in the, the truth the, tr the truth that doping was you know rampant and that too many people involved in the in in the doping aspect of the sport for the truth not to come out I was always really worried about that, you know, when I was doping. I thought, you know, someday this is going to come out. It just, and it did. It did. And, you know, luckily it did. Luckily it did. You know, for yeah. the sport, for future generations of the sport. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's been a wild ride. I mean, it's, yeah, it was some really hard years for sure. And, you know, I wouldn't want to go and repeat those again. But, you know, I feel lucky to be where I am today and be able to, be able to talk openly about it. And go back to Boulder and not hang my head low or put a baseball hat on or have to wear sunglasses because there was a time that I was, you know, pr pretty ashamed of, of it all. And just, it was heavy, some heavy years, and, you know, so, and not just for me either, you know, there's, there's a bunch of riders went through it. So, yeah. yeah. So I feel, and I feel for every one of them, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I think I, I would say that, you know, for the folks watching or listening to this, uh, you know, one of the one of the things that that comes up in, in when I think about a doping culture, you know, an athlete that chooses to make an unethical decision, um, I had heard, and now I've experienced firsthand, that you are the most caring, generous, nice guy, came from a good home, you know, just nobody had anything negative to say about you, but 
but he does these things. He's done these yeah. things. And, 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 you know, I've, I've read your book, I've read some other books and, you know, we're talking about like flushing stuff down toilets and, and running from yeah. and not crossing borders. And, and, and like, we're talking about like living, you know, doing things that you could be prosecuted for in, in a, in a criminal court, you know? And, yeah. and it's like, how does such a nice guy and, and, and that, like, how do those two worlds come together? But you know, the, the one term that, that we use is <clears throat> cognitive dissonance cognitive dissonance, you know, and, and that's when, you know, you have an individual that, you know, the, the life that you're leading and your self-image, they're not, they're not in concert. They're, they're not, they don't, they don't agree with each other. Right. And that's the, you know, if I could say, don't dope, obviously. Right. Sure. For but sure, if you for do, sure. but if you do, there's a human being behind those behaviors. And we have to understand that that human being, there's, there's a lot of emotional, mental, just kind of anguish going on right in there, right in there, because there's cognitive dissonance. Because last time I checked, you guys weigh 135 pounds and you guys couldn't, couldn't kill anybody if you tried, right? We're not criminals. I mean, it's just not. And so just thinking about like, that turmoil that an individual has to go into. And then, like you said, I got to the point where you just, you, you blow your top. You're like, oh my God, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, because this isn't me. You know, I interviewed, uh, you know, I had Tom, I've had Tom Danielson on the podcast too. And oh, he's yeah, like, nice. turn the hat, turn the hat backwards and pretend I'm this tough guy in interviews. And he's like, that's just not me. You know, I was having to do this facade and it just wasn't, it wasn't who I was as a person, but you know, that's what I had to do, you know, to live out. And so, um, so I'm just, I mean, I'm thankful that you guys had the opportunity to tell your stories, to hopefully uh, experience forgiveness from people, right? So that you guys don't have to walk around so that there is no more cognitive dissonance. Like right. you can be who you are, you made some mistakes, but you, and, and you had, you raise your hand, I made mistakes, but you can now be who you are. You're now in character. You're now, you're now in concert with who you are as a person. And I just think that there's, you know, so much of that involved in athletics, right? Uh, I would say even with athletes that maybe don't dope, but athletes that think they have to be a certain way or act a certain way, eat a certain way. I mean, let's face it, eating, diet, like like body image issues, like these things, and and, and it's cognitive dissonance. It doesn't line up with with who we are, right? Um, and so, yeah, man, it's it's really it's really nice to hear that you were able to do all of those things and that now you've settled in and you've got the kiddos and you've got all that going on. And it's just, you're in a better place now, you know? Um, because at the end of the day, you know, like you said, there were a lot of people involved. It doesn't really matter. There, there's lives at stake, right? Um, you know, let's, let's reach these people so that, you know, things can be rectified and, and, and things can be set right. And, and we don't have to, you know, you guys don't have to live with that weight, you know, because that's just, that's a burden that nobody should have to bear, you know, over time. Right. So, um, but, uh, anyhow, so yeah, man, that, that's great. That's great to hear, man. So, um, talk to me a little bit more black swift group. Uh, so you're working for, for them currently. So what is it that you do? What's your role? Um, yeah. What's going on there? Yeah. I'm on the business development team, you know, um, you know, bring, bringing in assets, uh, showing, you know, clients, um, you know, what we're all about. Um, we started a new fund recently called the Pro Cyclist Fund. So we're going to try to help out the 
professional cycling world, um, half the management fees go to the Pro Cyclist Foundation, which helps uh, pro cyclists in need, kind of uh, focuses on the legal, uh, career development, and wellness side of things, this, uh, the Pro Cyclist Foundation. So, um, yeah, it's been nice to kind of get back. And uh, this is a, it's a really a new, uh, we're in our, um, kind of infancy stages now and we're uh, hiring on a new executive director probably in the next couple of weeks. And so, so it's an exciting time. Um, and yeah, there's a, you know, as you probably know, Mario, there's a lot of professional cycling isn't that glamor glamorous, you know, a lot of it's kind of like double A baseball, uh, people really scrapping to get by. So hopefully we can make it, um, you know, a better sport, a more uh, functional sport and, more enjoyable yeah. yeah but yeah you know one of the things is like a lot of pro cyclists you know on the career development side like we want to help pro cyclists you know during their careers uh but also we want to help them like start to think about their careers after cycling you know i didn't really do do that you know maybe work on um your post-career development during your career you know maybe you take a class in the off season or like an online class or um Maybe you're, uh, maybe you work underneath somebody for a few hours a week during the off season. I don't know, but um, there's a lot of, I think, work to be done. And, uh, you know, I'd like to give back and help out in any way I can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the life of a cyclist, right? Um, you kind of know what's coming up. You know what the training for the week looks like. You know yeah. what... Uh, for, for some for some of you guys you know what like your 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 career might look like in terms of hey we're gonna bring you up slowly and we're gonna turn you into a GC guy within two or three years or whatever like you have you know we're, we're very much so like in tune with kind of what's up the road uh, but you're right like a lot of cyclists it's like hey um okay career's over the the road has ended so yeah. where, where, are we go, where are we gonna go now and it's like yeah right i i don't know i i haven't i haven't thought about that i don't have a plan right um and so it, it's interesting that that we're involved in you know an activity where we're very much so wanting to know what's next but yet this this next step that is going to be the majority of of somebody's life more than likely right work you know mm -hmm. moving in that career the cycling career doesn't last as long more than likely as a, you know, a, a, as another career that you may take afterwards, but not putting the the time and the effort into it, maybe that, that you should, and to be able to make that transition as smooth as possible. Right. Yeah. And typically your career doesn't end exactly the way you were hoping for it to end. You know, maybe mm -hmm. it's like, you know, a rider who's, who gets, makes the pro ranks and, you know, maybe they're trying to ride one more two-year contract and, you know, they don't get that opportunity. Maybe they get injured or, you know, who knows what. But, like, typically it doesn't end exactly the way you want it. So it's like start thinking about during your career. You know, I think some people think it's a, it's weak to think about something else after your career because you're not putting 100% focus on, onto, your, onto the task at hand, which is riding your bike fast. But, you know, it can be uh, – kind of a nice little distraction to think about something else and the, you know cycling requires so much energy and focus but like to think outside the box a little bit and you know work on a skill an existing skill that you have or maybe a maybe a new one that you're that uh, you're intrigued by you know um, yeah 
but like little things, it doesn't mean you're, you know, putting your cycling career on hold by thinking about something else, but just, you know, maybe it's just a couple hours a week, but you know, you make that commitment and then you continue to do that. You know? Yeah. I mean, I wish I had somebody kind of telling me that. I mean, I, I still type like this, you know, <laughs> like, a, yeah. like, like a bird. You know, with with uh, with social media, I think that's one of the things that's that's come out a little bit is the fact that uh, you know, uh, Chad Chad Haga, right, a uh, a Texan, you know, oh, yeah, 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 he plays the piano, and there's there's videos of him playing a piano. Uh, Julian Alaphilippe, I can't remember what he was doing the other day, but he he can do something kind of cool. I think he plays a guitar, you know, and there's nice. tons of guys and the, there, there's tons of guys in the peloton that. Um, you know, they, they use their time to do some of these other things because you're right, man, it's a pressure cooker. I mean, when you're at the, when you're at the tour, we're not asking you to take a, <laughs> to take a finance class online, you know, in between stages, like that's not what right. we're going to do. But like, when you do have some downtime, you know, it would be a good idea maybe to do some of that because when you're on cycling, we need you hundred percent on and present yeah. for yeah. For, for your safety and for the safety of everybody around you, right? We need you there. But at the same time, we need you to also be able to go somewhere else when that's necessary as well, because you can't always, you, you can't always be here, you know? And I think that that's coming out more and more as, as, as social media kind of helps us in this area is when you hear riders talking about things like that, it's, it's, it's healthy. It's good for us to be able to, identify as somebody else. Hey, Mario, what are you? Well, I'm a professional cyclist who rides for so-and-so, but I'm also uh, learning a new language or I'm also learning coding or something like that, right? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's not only, it's not who I am. I'm also a father and I'm a, because that's what yeah. ends up happening is when it's career transition time, I'm going to be a DS or I'm going to coach or uh Gosh, I, I I don't know. I mean, those are kind of the two things that a lot of second. I'm not saying yeah. that's a bad thing. Please don't don't yeah. misunderstand me. I'm not saying that that's a bad. I'm thing. a coach. But but some but some people don't. If you don't have a passion to be a coach or a DS, you kind of sit there and go. Yeah. Do I need to be a coach or a DS? Because that's what everybody else does. But no, maybe it's not what you need to do. Maybe you need to go into cooking or so. I don't know, right? But yeah, so I agree with you, man. That's that's vastly important, you know, because. Man, if if we don't learn anything from cycling, we'll, we're gonna make we make some darn good whatever else we want to do after cycling. Because last time I checked, if you can make it through a Tour de France, you can pretty much do anything you want <laughs> if you put your mind to it, it, it. The doors are wide open, right? So getting these people the opportunity to just do something and be just as successful at that than they are at cycling, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's what I tell bike racers. If you're, I mean. If you're a bike racer, you, you know how to work hard, right? And so, and you know how to dedicate yourself. So you have that going for you, you know? So just change your mindset a little bit, you know, you know, focus on something and, uh, and you know, the world is your oyster, really. It, I love it. Well, hey, I don't want to take too much time from you because I know you want to get outdoors. Um, oh, yeah. But, but I do, I have one more question for you though, man. Just an, uh, an, uh -oh. an interesting little question here for you. Um, if you had to name your, who was your favorite teammate and why? Oh, that's a tough one. But yeah, I'd say this guy, this French guy, Nicolas Jalabert, the younger brother of uh, Laurent Jalabert. He was just a great, you know, when I was kind of riding uh, as a team leader, what, in the 
2003, 2004. He was, uh, yeah, my teammate. I brought him over with me to Phonak when I changed teams um, in 2000 and uh, at the end of the 2003 season. And he was just great. He was always there for me, you know, spoke some like broken English, but it was just, uh, he was just a great guy. I remember, remember him uh, telling me we had, I had crashed in the Tour of Holland and we were racing to catch back up to the Peloton and my hand was just gushing blood. And I remember him telling me like, hey, this isn't the Tour de France, it's okay. Like we, 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 we don't have to, um, we don't have to make it back. We, you don't have to take, you know, you, you just do the Tour de France with a broken collarbone. You don't need to do this again. And I, yeah, he was just a great guy and um, yeah, always there for me. So yeah, Nicholas Jalabert. That's interesting. Uh, I'm gonna ha I'm gonna have to take that one and run with it a little bit because that's interesting because he had the wisdom to say, "Hey, Tyler, I know you're a tough guy, yeah, but let's not be a tough guy right now." It, yeah, there was like blood everywhere. And I it, yeah, at. yeah, like it's not important to be a tough guy right now. If this was the tour, maybe, okay. maybe, yeah. but this isn't right. So we don't need to do that right now. I think that's I, I think that's great wisdom and insight that he gave you there. It's like. We we've gotta we've gotta be able to channel right like this energy yeah. when we need it and be smart about that and sometimes when you're a dog in a cage you know like it sounds like you were you know just yeah it's like oh, it's I was yeah I was just used to it that's what I did that's what I always did so like yeah yeah and it was this this guy this guy with it's just an incredible piece of wisdom you know yeah me, you know in the middle of a bike race and I was like oh yeah okay. Yeah, man. It's yeah. awesome. I love it. Well, hey, uh, unfortunately, I thought of one more question. What is your, right. like what what's your what's your craziest memory at the tour? Like something that happened and you were like, man, that was that was like funny or crazy or yeah, I don't I mean, know. it doesn't even have to do with riding because I'm sure that it, it, whatever. I mean, uh, yeah, just on the climbs, you just get all these, you know, yahoos running next to you on the climbs, just different. You know, I can't think of one experience, but just and all sorts of wild outfits and, you know, with bongo drums and trombones and whatever, just, Dutch, you know, Dutch and quarter. stuff that would make, stuff that would make you know, do a double take, like, because yeah, just bizarre stuff and people just having a good old time out there and, you know, on a climb in the Tour de France and, um, and typically you're riding slow enough that they can run alongside of you for at least a, you know, five or 10 seconds. And sometimes, yeah. uh, Sometimes it was just pure comedy, you know, and uh, and it, it was kind of a nice uh, distraction at times. Yeah, who are the are the Basque fans the craziest? Are they? The Basque, you... uh, they're crazy. The Dutch are cool. The Dutch come down, you know, come come south, and they uh, bring a lot of passion. That's for sure. They're always they have this corner on Altuves. Dutch corner, yeah. Dutch yeah. corner, which is just cool, and it's just loud, and you know they know how to do it right. And the Dutch are just great people. Danes, yeah, love the Danes. So, but yeah, and the Basque are intense, intense, great fans, great fans. Yeah. So awesome when you, fans, so. I mean, when these guys are, when these guys are in your way, because I'm sure the camera doesn't do it justice. Man, do you guys like? Were, were there moments where you guys had to like soft pedal a tad just to make sure you didn't hit the guys in front of you that were parting? That you know, it's like the parting of the Red Sea, right? It's like these guys, they get out of the way at the last minute. I mean, how often would you think to yourself, "I'm about to run this guy over," you know? Because people don't realize here in the States, those races are happening at, you know, three, four o'clock in the afternoon. They, they've been, they've been hitting oh, the yeah. a little bit, you yeah. know, so it's yeah. not, it isn't eight o'clock in the morning like it is with us. We're drinking coffee here in the States 
they've been having beer and wine, you know? So, I mean, was it often that you would think to yourself, I'm about to bowl this guy over, man? Every once in a while, but typically they, you know, they knew how to do it and they'd be jumping away at the last second, but yeah. (laughs) Okay. But uh, yeah, it's pretty wild how that that all works, you know? Yeah. Dangerous, but yeah, you know, you're so, uh, all the oxygen was going to your, to your legs, you know? So you're kind of, you're a little bit foggy up here, right? And you're, it's, it almost just seems like a weird dream you're in, really. Wow. You know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, all these people right in front of you and then they're peeling away at the last second. But yeah, <laughs> cool experience. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But glad that's, but glad it's over too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And Tyler, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed our conversation, man. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what all goes down with the Pro Cyclist Fund. Sounds like you've got something really, really interesting going on there. Um, yeah, I mean, is there anything else you'd like to say about that before we close? Or no, th- I mean, thanks for having me on. It's been uh, it's, yeah a real honor to be on your podcast, and uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Hopefully, uh, we'll go off for a ride one day. Hey, man, you tell me when and where, and I'll be there. Okay, that'd be great. Awesome, that'd be great. Tyler. Thanks so thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate you. Thanks, Mario. All right. Take care.